Welcome to the Homemakers Club podcast. The Homemakers Club is a sisterhood of women who value the old-fashioned ways and traditions of making a house a home. As you listen in each week to conversation between myself and a fellow homemaker, it is my hope that you'll feel as though we are old friends and you're stopping by my home for a long-standing weekly tradition of sweet tea and sweet conversation. As good old friends do, we will celebrate the simplicities of ordinary days and come alongside one another to navigate the joys and hardships of homemaking. It is my prayer that when we say our goodbyes at the end of each episode, you leave with a heart that is enriched and filled with provision so that when you tie your apron strings each morning, you are joyfully ready to create a beautiful and fruitful life within your home. Grab a cup of tea and I'll meet you at the kitchen table. Hey everyone, welcome to the Homemakers Club podcast. It feels so wild to be back. I have not done this in about three months. I took a sabbatical and just kind of let the Lord lead me and it was much longer than I thought I needed, but I feel so happy to be back, restored, revived, all the things, and I am so grateful that my friend Katie came back to be on the podcast with me. You can find her on Instagram at Catherine Louise de Grote. She and I had a beautiful conversation several months ago, and I will include the link to that episode in the show notes for y'all. But Katie, thank you for coming. Thank you for agreeing to do this with me again. It's such a blessing and so fun to have you. Welcome back. Thank you. It's such a treat to be back here again and an honor. Thank you, Ashley. So I would like to kind of dedicate this episode to talking about what we're seeing on social media and in our communities and the hearts of so many women around us and then also talk about what restoration and revival look like within our own hearts and our own homes because what we're doing every day is this constant effort knowing that at the end of our lives we'll have dedicated our whole lives to something so much bigger than what we do on a daily basis it's like all these days and hours add up to something big and we see the big picture but we're also seeing that all these women like through social media they're all doing these daily things sharing the ministry of home the heart of homemaking and it's so cool to know that they are not only in their homes but by sharing it with the world is like part of this huge picture. We're seeing revival. We're seeing restoration of homes everywhere. That's where I want to go with this. And I know that you would love to join me in that conversation because we both see it and we both care about it so much. Before we get into that, though, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself, where you are within your homemaking journey, because it's changed a little bit since the last time we spoke. And then I will start talking about restoration and revival. Yes, absolutely. Well, I've been a homemaker now for a couple of years. I'm a former photographer. I mostly did editorial work. So I I worked for a local lifestyles magazine and then I owned my own business and I did young family photography and I was also interested in writing. So that was my background. And then I became a mother in 2018 and I was able to juggle my photography business and motherhood easily. But then my husband and I moved. We live outside of St. Paul, Minnesota. So we left Minneapolis actually 
and we moved to our current home and it was just a lot of driving to get to clients and it was starting to feel like it was really impeding upon what I felt my heart I needed to be doing. And so I made the decision to put my business on sabbatical. I love the idea of perhaps returning at some point, but I knew that it was no longer sustainable. And so I I was very grateful to have the privilege to be able to do that. And so my business went on sabbatical around the time that I found out we were having our third baby. So I'm actually expecting our fourth baby now. So we have a, we've had our children all very close. Our oldest, a little girl, Priscilla, she is four and a half. She'll be five in August. And then we have Langston. He is two. We call him LJ. And then we, our baby right now is Theodore. We call him Teddy and he turned a year in September. And so our fourth baby, little baby girl is arriving in July. So it's, it's fun because we'll have a June, July, August and September birthdays, which makes up for my husband and I having December birthdays in Minnesota. So I laugh, like I couldn't have planned it better, but it, you know, as our family has grown. I have really dug deeper into the roots of homemaking. And I've thought about where I want to go next with homemaking. And I have, you know, really prayed and sought answers for this season that I'm in. It's been so fun to watch you and so other many women kind of go through the journey of motherhood over the last almost three years. I mean, there's been women who weren't in the journey of motherhood yet who now are. You've added a couple since the Homemakers Club started. So it's just been so fun to be a part of that. I feel like y'all are just sisters. I wish I could send baby gifts to everybody because it's just so cool to sit back and watch homes and families grow. I want to touch back on something you mentioned a few minutes ago, and you were talking about how essentially you're having these heartstrings pulled as far as you're balancing work and the commute to your clients and home. How did you know that it wasn't working for you in this season? Like, what were those clues or Mm -hmm. signs? Because I think a lot of times... We feel this certain way, but we don't know what that actually is. So I'd kind of like to hear where you were and what drove you to action and putting that on the on the shelf for right now. It doesn't mean you're never going to do it again. I'm sure mm-hmm. you'll be well aware of when the season's appropriate for you and your family to do it again. But I, I want to know what that felt like and what was mm-hmm. that call to action to make that change? Well, for better or worse, I'm sort of an all or nothing person and I will you know, I don't do things at 50%. I do things at a hundred percent. And before having children, I, and, and Seth and I started our family right away. I mean, we got pregnant very quickly after meeting. And so it, it, I, I could just pour myself into my business and I, and it was, it was like a child to me in many ways. And I was so proud of it. And I, I did wonderful work, but I think there were three things that really signaled to me that it was time to step back Number one, I wasn't comfortable with the amount of time that I was gone. Most of the time I was shooting on the weekends and I was driving almost an hour each way. So even, you know, even though my shoots might be one or two hours max, I was tapping on two hours for driving and it, 
felt like too, it, it felt to me, and I think every person is different, but it felt to me that that was, that was too much time away from my husband and my daughter and my son, especially, you know, my, my husband works Monday through Friday. And so Saturdays and Sundays are our days to be together as family. And I, I felt like I was missing out on critical family time. And I, I didn't like how that felt. And I, I think there's so many photographers who are so skilled at managing their time and, and constructing their time in a way that makes it so that they truly can have both. I just was not in that place, mostly because of my location. And so that was sign number one. Sign number two was I had a difficult client and any photographer will tell you, you're going to have them. They come in, you know, it's just part of the business. You're going to have wonderful clients who you really click with and you're going to have clients who, you know, they're, they're not your favorite, but they're fine. And then one, I always say once a year, I would always have a difficult client. And it was so interesting because this woman had hired me to take photos of her family and she was so frustrated with her I believe he was two, two-year-old son at the time because he wasn't smiling the way that she wanted him to smile. So he was smiling, but he wasn't smiling the way that she wanted him to. And there was a part of me that, and you know, I think in this visual day and age, the pressures are very high and people feel like they need to have these really beautiful family photos and they desire them. And of course we want everyone smiling for a family picture because that's an expression of happiness and joy. Of course we want that. And, but, but to me, it felt, it felt very sad and it felt icky to me in my spirit. And so with photography too, spiritually for me, and and I am a Christian, I'm a believer. And I have had this experience where there's, there's a famous photographer named Joy Prouty who talks a little bit about this, this emotional connection that you have to your clients, to what you're seeing behind the lens. And sometimes it felt like the Lord was showing me so much and my heart now, because I'm a wife and mother myself is I'm so sensitive to what I'm seeing as far as interactions, especially interactions between people and their children and people and their spouses, you know? And so I just felt like it it was time to kind of close the chapter. That was sign number two. And sign number three was, it was an opportunity. You know, we were in a position where we could go without my photography income. And so the opportunity was there. And so sometimes, you know, if you, if you're not even sure the next step to take, if an opportunity presents itself, you take it and you kind of leap into the dark. And I had a lot of hesitations making that leap because I had been taught from the culture that I was raised in. I'm an older millennial. I was born at the end of 86, beginning of, you know, that time period where it's dangerous for you. I felt like the message I received culturally was that it was dangerous for me to rely on a man for income. Mm -hmm. And that if I were to do that, I would be putting myself at risk, despite the fact that my photography income was not, I wasn't making enough money to you know, live off of, I wish I had, and that would have been wonderful, but my, you know, it was, it was a more meager, it was a more meager salary, which is fine. Cause it was a truly a labor of love, but there was a lot of head work I needed to do to kind of get, I needed to get out of that place, that fear-based mentality that I had been trained up in. And I think that that comes from 
people's real lived experiences and their trauma that we have to acknowledge is their, you know, their stories. But the problem is when we don't heal our trauma and we project it onto other people, we create cultures around a fear. And so for me, that was the right decision. And I'm very happy with putting the business on sabbatical, but I, it definitely took a while for me to figure that out. Talking about your upbringing and being an older millennial, I'll up you by a year and and say not only that as far as the not being able to trust in a man to be able to do the right thing or provide or whatever was also the great push that you're not successful unless you're being successful outside of the home. In high school, home economics phased out. So it was there when I started. And by the time I left, it was no longer a requirement. And I don't even think it was offered as a course by the time I was a senior. In high school, university was pushed, obviously, career, trade school, what are you going to do with your life? I'm going to drop you off at school and you're going to figure it out kind of thing. That was, it's such a weird thing to navigate the heartstrings of wanting to be a wife and a mom, like for as long as I can remember, even in high school, my dear friend, she had like the sexy little sports cars and she was like that hot little thing. (laughs) And I had my four door mom car. And I was like, well, I mean, this is practical because when I have children, I don't have to get a new car. I could just open the back seat and stick the car seat in the back. Like it was just, I've always kind of had that idea that that's just what I wanted to be was a wife and a mom. The hardest thing was is for years, even after I became a mom and fought to be home full time to raise my children because I've understood the magnificence of it from such a young age that I now tell every homemaker I communicate with that I'm proud of them because I never heard that in my entire life as a wife and mom for making that decision which is the opposite of what I was taught and like brought up to do, not just in my family, but I mean, my grandma, friends, society, our culture, like everyone's doing all these wonderful things outside their home. I was the only one who made this choice. And not one time did I hear anyone like, woohoo, what you're doing is the most important work you could do with your life. It's like, oh, I always thought you were so smart. I'm surprised you didn't do anything with it. Oh, thanks. <laughs> like, like, thank you. But I do believe it is the most important work ever in our culture and society, I think kind of failed us in the sense that so many people don't understand that it really is. It breaks my heart, but also gives me hope to see that I think there is a little bit of a revival coming back. I'm bringing women home and people around the table for dinner. There's just, I think it was kind of like a lost, there's probably what do you say 20, 30 years of a, a, I don't know what you would say, like a diminished desire for home. Yeah. Well, I think we're in fourth wave feminism now and we're coming out of third wave from what I can understand. I could be wrong, but I think third wave was so focused on equality within the workplace. So it was a lot about, you know, women should be able to have a credit card. Women should be able to have equal standing with men in, 
in corporations. It was not focused on motherhood. And so the reason why we now hear so much about people talking about motherhood and how things aren't sustainable and they're upset, it's because that was never the focus of third wave feminism. Mm -hmm. That wasn't what it was about. It was never about motherhood. And so I think the revival has to do with two things. I think it has to do with the place we find ourselves in 2023, because that's when we're recording this podcast and coming out of a global pandemic where we had to reckon with so many things coming out of at least the United States here, very tumultuous political stuff coupled with social media and just not having, you know, I can't go to my mom and ask her how to handle social media or what to do with like screens and my kids, because she has not been in that place. You know, the technology has advanced so quickly. So we're really sort of pioneers. And I think the revival makes so much sense because we've been left with, I think a very broken, personally for me, I don't prescribe to feminism for many, many reasons, but I I see around me its failures. And I think people are, frustrated you know they went to the store and there was no bread and they don't know how to bake bread it's scary yeah it is scary and it's not it's not funny to not have homemaking skills because some of those skills could save your life and and you know not to be dramatic about it but the stuff that my grandmother knew I'll never know some of those things my grandmother did not neither one of my grandmothers went to college and I think it was great that I went to college it was an opportunity I'm very grateful for my education, but the amount of lost skills and how I've had to kind of hobble together skills now from different people. Okay. This friend knows a lot about gardening. This person knows a lot about food preservation. And it does break my heart to think about how just in one generation, so much was lost. And now we find ourselves in a situation where we need those skills. And so it's really, it's, it's a serious matter. Yeah, I love how you said we're kind of pioneers as far as getting back into home and also trying to navigate so many things that have never been done before. I mean, you were talking about technology. We are the very first generation to us at our age. We're the first generation that grew up without it that are raising children with it. We're the very first. So our children are the first generation that have had it their entire lives. Yes. However, we're the first ones that are having to learn. Like, I know what the good old days was like when you had to work and put effort into, like, getting that dopamine hit. So there's a previous podcast that I will share about, I can't even think, uh, Digital Detox. It's about the book Digital Detox with Molly. And it was so fascinating. And I'll include that link in the show notes, too, because it was wildly powerful talking about the impact that social media and and electronics and tech have on the home and in the children's lives. But we're Mm -hmm. the very first. We are those pioneers. We can't call mom. We can't call grandma. We can't call anybody older than us to talk about how to navigate this. We're the very first. We're talking about pioneering. We're leading our society and our generation back 
backwards in time. So we're going forwards, obviously, with lots of things, tech world, all of that. We're also trying to go back in time and restore those lost skills, the things that we need to live, like you were saying, bread, gardening. I mean, so many people are getting dairy cows. They're learning these skills because, like you said, in the pandemic, it was scary. I will never forget going to Costco. It was freezing cold still here in northern Idaho. We had to like stand outside for like an hour. They were only letting 20 people in the store at a time. I mean, it was, I, and I come from a really tiny town, so I have to drive an hour to get to Costco. So I go like once a month. And, and we were so sheltered in our tiny town. Like I didn't see anything like that. Um, when I got to the city, it was, it was terrifying. And I think, thank the Lord that I have been taught by my mom and my grandma how to bake bread. I have an interest in baking, so I love baking. I love cooking. I know how to be resourceful. We were on an incredibly tight budget because of having made the decision to be a one-income family, so I know how to make food Mm -hmm. stretch. And I'm like, thank the Lord that I know how to do these things and I have an interest in doing these things and an interest in growing my skill sets to provide for my family because had I not done that or I mean who knows what the future looks like so it's a there's a little bit of fear factor but also like I want to be proud of my work and not just in the foundation I'm laying for my family but also to know that I can provide so much for my family things they need to actually survive like food. Yes. So what are some of the skills that you're learning currently? Let's let's up it and make it a little more happy because that's a little hard. It's a little scary to know. Like yeah. you as a homemaker friend, you're not only responsible for the foundation you're laying for your family and the values and the lessons and the education and all the things you want to teach your children. You're also actually responsible for their well-being as well like it's it's a big it's a big deal and so let's lift that weight a little bit for a moment we might go back there and because it is important and I know you feel that way too so we might have to touch back but for a moment I want to hear some of the fun things and the things that you are learning within your home that contribute to the well-being and the fun in your home. Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm learning how to garden. I, I was just a notorious black thumb. I would kill plants. And so we're hoping for spring. We have lots of snow on the ground right now because it's February still here, but I am planning our garden for this spring and summer. And it'll be our third. It, and it started very small. It was like some herbs in a pot because I thought, let's just start small and let's make it simple. And if it fails, we didn't spend a lot of money. And each year I've added something else. And so that's something I'm learning about. And I just have to tell one funny story really quick about that. So I I heard that you could fertilize your plants with chicken poop. And we have two chickens, Tupac and Biggie. And so I was so excited. I got the chicken poop. Wait, wait. What did you just say? Yes, my chickens, my girls, Tupac and Biggie. And <laughs> I to love you. Hip hop and rap. Yeah, we were born in the same era. Okay. Yes, yes. This I know we appreciate amazing. that. So we so wear our prairie so dresses. Excited. We're wearing. Hold on. We're wearing our yes, sweet yes. little dresses, but naming chickens. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Tupac and Biggie. <laughs> So I took, I, I, you you know, I I was so excited. So I, you know, I went ahead and I put it on my plants and then 
I was telling a friend of mine who's a a much more senior gardener. And she said, oh, you know, you have to cure that. Like, it's not, you can't just take animal poop and put it on plants. And so I right away ran outside and I was like, oh my gosh, am I going to kill them? It's been on here for, you know, four or five hours. And I took it all off and it was, it was a great learning experience for me. And so, you know, I will do, I will do things differently next time. My plans were okay. It was just a few hours, but that's one thing I'm learning gardening. I am dipping my toes into homeschooling. My daughter goes to preschool at a wonderful preschool three mornings a week, but I'm starting to really get into homeschooling because our plan is to to, to do that at some point with our kids. So I'm, I'm learning all about that. I'm reading tons of books about home education. I have a couple of good friends from college who actually work in education. One of them is a reading specialist. And so she and I have wonderful conversations about literacy and she's a published author. So she has a couple children's books that she has sent us that have been a blessing. So that's another thing. And of course the sourdough trend, which is so fun and really challenging because I, I grew up baking and I love to bake and felt pretty confident going into sourdough. And it really has taken me almost a year and a half to make humbling a halfway decent loaf, but that's okay because I'm improving. It is definitely a source of humility for sure. All last year, we had this funny ha ha joke on the podcast about sourdough and how I failed miserably I just killed the thing like it I just couldn't remember it so I made like one or two I think the recipe made two loaves like all year and other than that I just had moldy starter because I could not for the life of me get that into a rhythm like it was impossible for me to think about feeding this starter so I killed it every time it has been so fun though because during my sabbatical from the podcast I'm happy to say that I have been successful and I'm baking all the things sourdough and and each week I've encouraged myself to try one new sourdough starter leftover discard whatever it's called recipe and that's going great so it's so fun to like challenge ourselves with something that is really daunting whether it's sourdough or gardening or whatever it keeps homemaking fun and keeps us a little humble and it's just life-giving to learn new skills it's definitely not a boring vocation that's for sure I love that you put fresh chicken stuff on your garden and it only lasted four to five hours because guess who did that two years ago and actually didn't know that that wasn't okay until the end of the season. But you know what? My, my friend's mother, Miss Julie, she's kind of an icon in our little town for being the best baker ever and, and gardener. And she's just good at everything. And she just turned 70 and she came over. She's like, what is that smell in my backyard? I'm like, what do you mean? I don't know. Maybe my chicken. She's like, no, she walked past the garden. She's like, you are burning your garden. Like I had no idea. 
But you know what? I kind of feel like I had beginner's luck because I still had stuff grow. So <laughs> I don't know that I buy too much into that, but it was That's okay. Funny. It all worked out. It all worked out. It all worked out. Okay, we are going to go back a little bit to the incredible importance of homemaking. I don't want to overlook that. I know a lot of people think, oh my gosh, it's such a heavy weight to bear to know that our role within our home is incredibly important. I know it can feel heavy at times. It can feel like you have all the pressure on your shoulders knowing like, wow, that happiness and health of my home is only on my shoulders. It is super scary, but also incredibly empowering to know that you are valuable with your home. I didn't know that for years. Like I knew, I, I knew, but I was also being told by everybody else in my world and society and my in the culture itself like you're you're replaceable you it doesn't matter Mm -hmm. like you can send your kids to daycare and they can raise your children but I mean there's just so many things like you're not successful unless you're whatever owning a business Mm -hmm. or you've got your master's or your bachelor's degrees or you have a career that you're proud of like it, it it's it's confusing I will say, because I knew it was important, but I was told it wasn't for so many years. And I kind of would like for you to explain to me a little bit about what you think makes home matter. And that's a big question, but why do you think home matters? I think if we cannot maintain our homes, we have no business ruling society Mm -hmm. and I heard someone else basically say that, like, if you can't bring order to your life, who are you to rule a city? So please don't credit me. I think it was Jordan Peterson. Anyway, maybe it was some, a like a philosopher that he was quoting. I'm not sure, but home is the foundation of everything Mm -hmm. for a human. So it's where we come into the world and it's where we get our ideas about family and faith and work and almost everybody I know with, you know, trauma, myself included, we, we can trace it back to a home environment that wasn't rightly ordered. Mm -hmm. Maybe there was abuse. Maybe there was a, a break apart. Maybe there was financial stress or psychological issues, whatever it may be. We, we carry home everywhere. So even you know, in my season before having kids, very focused on my photo business, I still was carrying around wounds from my own upbringing. And then when I had my daughter is when a lot of stuff came up, which is very common, I think for folks when they have their first child, but it really helped solidify for me the importance of home. So I will often kind of contrast my husband's and my upbringing. They're very different. Love my parents, love my in-laws, different people, different set of circumstances, all kinds of different realities, different people. But my husband was raised in a home where his parents have been married since they were very young. My mother-in-law is a homemaker. She worked when my husband and brother-in-law were small because they needed to economically, they couldn't survive on one income, but then she became a homemaker later. And it's just very fascinating to see the kind of man my husband is. And like I said, you know, 
it's not good to compare people, but it's just very informative for me to witness that as a result of his, his training, you know, the way that he was brought up and how important family, not just his parents, but then he grew up around all of his, many of his extended family members and was raised as well by aunts and uncles in their small, small town. It's just very, very, very different from me where my parents, our relatives were away in other states. And so creating a home with this man has been so redemptive and restorative for me because as a small child, even though I didn't have the vocabulary, I knew that some of the things I was experiencing were for me wrong. I didn't like going to daycare. I didn't like going to after school and before school programming. I didn't like that my mom couldn't volunteer as much as some of the other moms. I didn't like that I had to go to summer camps all summer long. I wanted to be home. That was just deep in my heart. And I I think I said this on the last podcast that I was on. I always knew that I wanted to be home with my children because of my own reactions to things from my own childhood. And that's why I share because sometimes online people will say things to me like, well, why do you need to talk about homemaking? You're so privileged. Yes, it's the greatest privilege of my life. I'm so honored and privileged to be home with my children 100%. And I share because it's so restorative. And I also want other young women to know that success doesn't have to look one way. I remember thinking in high school, if I don't get into an Ivy League college, I'm a failure. And that's just such a lie because there's so many different ways to be successful. I share because I want younger women to see here is this person. She maybe doesn't make an income outside of the home, but she's following God's call for her life and the desires of her heart. And it's so redemptive because I also feel like there were women in my family line who were not able to choose homemaking. And so it's so special to me. And it's it's not sharing out of pride or haughtiness, but truly just almost like a disbelief and a deep well of gratitude. I love your story. I have chills hearing it because it's similar yet so different than mine. So we were both basically told in so many different ways, directly and indirectly, that you're not successful unless you do something outside of the home first. So I too, my mom and dad both worked outside of the home. I was raised going to wonderful so my parents were great in the sense that they did a lot of effort in like digging into like where can they send their children so they have wonderful experiences at summer camp and before and after school programs so they they chose which schools we went to purposefully they so they did a lot of really beautiful intention with our childhood I have two other brothers that are younger than me so they did a wonderful job within their means of like what was normal during that time and so I have great memories of summer camp but I was also incredibly aware of my friends whose mothers were home how how confident my friends were how happy my friends were, how they felt so incredibly provided for. I I remember going and their mothers were so happy. And not that my mom wasn't happy, but they had this extra 
glitter about them. I don't, and I think it was just because they had the availability. They didn't have to super pack their schedules and like understand like I need to leave work by this time to get her to gymnastics or my son here to swim team or whatever it may be. There was a lot less pressure for juggling time and all this. So my mom did the best she could, but I was incredibly, incredibly aware of other people's homes whose moms were home full time. And, and they were so shiny and so bright and like they just had a carefree a little bit about them like they just carried home a little the the home that I want to give my children they carried that and so I love your story because you and I were kind of raised in a similar situation as you said like a lot of other women our age did but you did go to school and you finished university you chose to get into photography. You started your career. You are making an income. So you had that experience in your life, and you chose to come home. I love how you made a point to say, like, photography is a later thing. Like, it, it's not a right now thing because you have all these littles running around your home. You're talking about getting into homeschooling. You're gardening. But you haven't forgotten the things that you worked hard for and the thing that brought you joy, which is photography. I can relate so much to that. I didn't finish college. I'm a college dropout. I came home. I raised my children. I fought really hard. People say, oh, you're so lucky. You're so privileged that you get to stay home. Yes. And I'm also incredibly grateful to my husband for being down with that. So I fought for that. Like I had to do so much convincing. I had to go against the grain with everybody telling me that I'm not being successful by dropping out of college or whatever. I carried that guilt and in, in that insecurity for a very long time, probably seven or eight years into my homemaking. I was constantly like, should I start this business? Should I do this? Like, I just felt like I was a failure, even though I knew what I was doing at home was incredibly important. Like, I knew it. That's why I fought for it. Um, but I love that you said that things can happen in a different order, than what we are being told because look at the homemakers club god did not bring me into this 10 years ago granted instagram wasn't really a thing i don't think i don't even know i got on it like five years four years three years ago (laughs) i just don't know but it wasn't a thing but he didn't call me heavily like a a full-blown calling into anything other than my home until three years ago. My daughter was six. My son was 12. Here they are, nine and 15. They can help me with business. My son is learning about business. He's taking all these online courses about entrepreneurship and business because we homeschool, so we get to do that. I choose purposely to do that. But so God brought me into this at a completely different time than what society told me I should do things in that order and I think that that's incredibly empowering because these young ladies who are listening to the podcast or following the homemakers club on Instagram or any of the women that are a part of it I think they're getting told like listen you can do these things that you were gifted like you for photography you're interested in it you want to do it you can do that at any point during your life You can't raise children at any point during your life. You only have one shot to build this foundation for your home. You only get one shot. And so to me, I'm like, why would I miss this? 
I understand that there's a lot of women that can't do that. But there are things that they could do when they get home to build up foundation of home and pursue the things that they love or feel like they're called to do outside the home. And that's so cool that we, we're elevating the voice of home and, and we're together, you and I and so many other women are sharing that with the world. Like this could be your top priority in this season of your life. Yeah, 100%. And I think the the pandemic did, I think, reframe and sort of reset a lot of our minds. Mm. So I just recognized, and like I said, I always knew I wanted to be home with my children, but I just had this realization that, you know, at the end of my life, what is going to be the most important thing? What am I going to look back on? And it's not to discount the work that I've done or the education that I've received, because that's been a part of it. But I wouldn't put that at the top. Mm-hmm. And I think that's how lots of people feel. And I think we have to be honest about how we feel. And because we're in such a hyper-capitalistic society, because we have now made it very difficult for people to live off of one income, you could do it. But it, you know, it like you said, it often takes a lot of sacrifice for folks. It's It's just become so challenging. And I also think your kids are a little bit older too. And mine are, they're just so little. Right. And so oftentimes, like when I read or listen to things that are like opposing viewpoints, because I I like to do that. I like to read and listen to all different perspectives because I find that to be really enlightening as I, you know, kind of form my own and grow deeper in my own convictions. But I'll often hear people lamenting about, you know, how impossible it is with young motherhood. And I think, well, yes, because they, a young child, a baby is so dependent on you. You know, my four, four and a half year old can go get her own snack. My, you know, 16 month old cannot. So right there, you know, it, there's a huge difference in, you know, the amount of physical labor. I also think when we want to have it all, we're going to have to do it all. And I don't know why we think that having more is best. I have really cut back on many, many things in the past few years because I've had so many babies so close. And it's just like, no, I can't go get my nails painted once a month. I never go, you know, no, I can't get my hair cut every six weeks like you're supposed to. you know, no, I don't get to see my friends nearly as often as I would like. Sometimes, you know, we're just doing errands and we're going to church. We're doing errands and we're going to church. And that's okay because that's the season that we're in and it's not forever and it's for right now. But I think this pressure that we as a culture have put on women to have it all is just unsustainable. And that's the problem. The problem isn't necessarily what people want to do. I think this is, it's the idea that we have to do, we have to cram it all in to, you know, a decade and a half of our lives, you know, our twenties and our thirties or, you know, 25 to 35 or 40. I just don't, I have never seen that done well. I have never seen that done well. The most chaotic, and this isn't judgment because my heart goes out to folks, but like the most chaotic homes I witness are where people are trying to do too many things. Mm -hmm. And it's like, pull back, edit, pull back. And yeah, you know, like I, 
I think it's wonderful to have different interests and endeavors and a rewarding career if that's where, you know, God has called you. I'd like to talk a little bit real quick about reframing your mindset. So Mm -hmm. I love how you said this is a season you're in right now. I think there's Mm -hmm. a beautiful thing that happens when we come into a knowing of those words. Like this is the season I'm in currently right now. So I can look at other women on Instagram like me. So I have women say, oh my gosh, how is your house so decorated or so clean? Or how do you have time to do all these things? Well, ladies, my children are 9 and 15, see? So my kids can do chores, and they do do them. And they do them well because I have made sure all along that I check to make sure that they get done appropriately. So I I feel very blessed that my son will take out the trash or my daughter vacuums and they make their beds every day. But it wasn't always like that. So... I love organizing and I love cleaning and I always have. And so I made it a game with my children. Like we're going to pick up your toy carts, like Hot Wheels carts. And we're going to put all the red in this bin and all the yellow. Cause I'm like, Oh, this is an opportunity for education <laughs> as well. And we're cleaning. And I had to sit on the floor with my son who's Paxton and 15. And when he was little and we just organized cars and I made cleaning fun, but it was also an expectation. Like, you're two years old, we're going to clean up this before we move to this. And I put all their toys in bins and baskets. So my home looked not like a childcare. I didn't want that. Sure, there Mm -hmm. were toys out, but I worked so hard at training my children at helping around the home, both children, boy and girl. So, I mean, we were in that season. I, I would cook dinner, they would throw a fit, they didn't want that. Well, I learned how to, <laughs> oh, like, I lived that, and, and you are in that right now, and I think that that's the cool thing about, like, the Titus woman in the Bible, like, we're supposed to support and love and encourage those who are younger than us, who are just in mm-hmm. their different seasons, and then we're also supposed to look to the older women who have already been there. So one, they can teach us. And two, they could be like, high five, you're doing a great job. I've been there and it gets easier. This gets harder. My son's 15. We're in a whole new season of a completely <laughs> girls and texting and, you know, all the things. But mm-hmm. so now I'm in uncharted waters. But I think what I'm trying to say is if you can develop a knowing that your season right now is simply that it's a season you're in and you can be excited about moving forward, but you can be really patient and alive and well within what you're doing and be confident in the season you're in. Like that is probably the greatest blessing you can ever have on your heart. Yeah, totally. And I always say, you know, cause people will say your, your home is very neat. Well, I don't leave my house very often. So it helps that I'm home probably more than you think that I am. Like I probably need to get out more. I know. I that. And I'm sort of a minimalist, not entirely, but I have learned that for me, because my children are so young and they're so close in age and they are just, a, they're a lot of work. I thrive, you know, less is more for, for us. And so I actually made a goal this year to diminish my possessions by half. And I've been working on that. Maybe it was a little ambitious, intense of a goal, but we'll see, check in with me later. 
but it has already made life so much easier for us. You know, it's easy to put your clothes away when you have a capsule wardrobe. You know, it's easy to put toys away when you have a smaller amount. And I just don't feel like we're, you know, we're, we're hurting for having less. Like it, it doesn't, that doesn't feel that way to me at all. I think we've gained so much more. And for my children, I've seen their imaginations really soar. They're at ages where they love to do art and my daughter loves to create with what she has. And personally, that was a big part of my own childhood. And I think that less is more. I really, I really do. And so, yes, we're, you know, we're in a season of a lot of intensity because my kids are young and small, but I've made things more doable by limiting the amount of possessions we own and really by limiting our schedule. We do very little because that is what works well for us. We are not a family that is running all over the place. We just aren't. I love that because it gives you the opportunity to have like more, you were saying in your home, so more time to do the things you want to learn, like sourdough or gardening. So you have more personal opportunity to care for yourself and build that foundation in your home because you're spending a lot less time cleaning up all the physical items that can fill our home so easy. I know a lot of us love thrifting and antiquing and all of those things, but when you have so much on your kitchen counters, it takes forever to clean your kitchen. Or if you have so many toys, like, and they pull them all out, it takes so long and it could be so exhausting when you're like, all I do all day is just clean up all this stuff. I'm a lot like you in the sense that I don't have a lot of stuff. I have a lot of things I really love because I've been really intentional about what I bring into my home. Um, and I try to sell things and use that money to buy like the ultimate whatever, like towels or the vase or whatever I want to bring in my home. I'd rather get rid of 10 things I don't like at all <laughs> and save for the one thing that's going to be useful and beautiful within my home as well. So that makes a pleasing space to live in. Also, when everything that I have brought in has beauty and intention and makes me happy, and then I spend a lot less time cleaning and feeling bombarded by all the things because we just, like you said, we, if you don't have it, it doesn't take that much time. Can we talk about reframing our mindsets real quick before we end this episode? Because we're talking about how incredibly important homemaking is, the restoration of the old things that we're trying to recreate within our homes, like the skill sets and the foundation building and understanding the magnificence of home. And then how we're seeing kind of a revival in women's hearts and also within our world itself. But how do you reframe your mind when you start going through those hard moments? Because we all have hard moments like, what am I doing? How do you get back into a happy place within your home so you can be the light? Like, how do you navigate that mindset to keep pushing forward to the big picture? I think number one for me is just going outside for a walk. That is huge. It's just totally transformative for me and getting fresh air. So that resets me a hundred percent. If I can just get some exercise, it doesn't need to be, you know, fancy. It can just be a walk around the neighborhood with my kids or, you know, a walk after they've gone to bed or, you know, and I can put my, 
headphones in and listen to some 90s music. Yes. <laughs> so that that really does help recalibrate quiet time when I can seek it. So when I'm not you know, pregnant or with a little baby, I'll typically wake up early and I'll have about, you know, 30 minutes to an hour of just prayer, journaling, reading the Bible, maybe working my way through a study. And that helps center my day. And if I can have both those things, some exercise and some quiet time, the day is going to be, it's going to be a good day. It's going to be great. That's awesome. I love my quiet time. I get up every morning, 6am, but sometimes I don't feel bad. Like if I'm tired and it goes off, I'm like, "Mm, nope. And turn off the alarm. And I've learned to have grace for myself. Like I slept and clearly that's what my body needed. And I'm not going to feel bad about the fact that I didn't get up at 6am, get my cup of coffee and do my Bible study. I'll do it at some point later today. I'd rather my children see the Bible in my hand anyway. So it's fine. But I stopped holding myself like a guilt trip on myself because it's so crazy to be in that headset. But I was like that for a long time. Yeah, you can be legalistic with it for sure. And that's, that's a way that I think the enemy takes the stronghold with people is like, it's like, okay, you can actually rest if that's what your body needs. But you know, sometimes we're not tired and we are hungering for that time with him. Yeah. So having grace is one big thing, but I'll tell you probably the number one thing that I've learned that helps me go full 180 from like having the worst day, feeling like it's so hard. My children are being whatever my marriage is, whatever, all the things that aren't in favor of my day or the season is cheering on other women. Mm -hmm. That has been the most wild gift that I have received within my role as Den Mom of the Homemakers Club is because I cheer y'all on so much every day that it has given me life in -hmm. knowing what I'm doing is important. I matter. I'm going to have hard days. My house is going to be a mess. But if I put forth the elbow grease and get it cleaned it'll be clean cheering on other women when they are doing wonderful things or when they're in moments of despair preaching truth to all of y'all or texting a friend is double back to me because I'm like well I wouldn't say that to anybody if I didn't wholeheartedly believe that so why am I not going to wholeheartedly believe that for me and that has been an unexpected gift. I never knew that was so incredibly important and magnificent I've received from this role. And so my quiet time with the Lord, having grace on myself, doing something that I enjoy every day, whether it's baking or putting chicken poop accidentally on the garden, whatever it may be, doing something I enjoy or a challenge is life-giving, but the ultimate is preaching love and truth to other women and encouraging them that what they're doing matters. That right there, I think is like second place to my Bible study, as far as the golden ticket in understanding my value and reframing my mindset during hard days and seasons. But anyway. I love that. I think that's so powerful too, because we, we do live in a world where women especially can tear one another down. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so easy to criticize and be uncharitable. And so for you, what I love so much about the Homemakers Club community is truly how uplifting it is. It's a space where I have learned. It's a space where I've been inspired. And 
I love the community there because it is truly just a very positive place in, you know, on, on social media, which can often be a very negative place. It's been a beautiful journey and excited for what's in store this year. I'll probably be giving out some little hints here and there in the next few episodes or months to come, but I'm, I just, I can't wait to share more and I, we're taking Homemakers Club to an actual real life club where we get to learn alongside one another and encourage one another and eat pie <laughs> together, hopefully. It's just going to be beautiful. And so anyway, Miss Katie, thank you so much for joining me. And I hope you'll join me again in the future this year. Thank you, Ashley. It was my pleasure. Thank y'all for being here and for the work you are doing within your homes and sharing home with the world. I believe with my whole heart that every day, the more we share home and the art of homemaking, we are upholding the way in which home was intended to be productive, fruitful, and beautiful. Though your days may seem ordinary, little by little, you are building something quite extraordinary. Keep up the good work, my friends. If you haven't already, I encourage you to join our sisterhood on Instagram at We Are the Homemakers for daily encouragement and fellowship. And of course, subscribe here as well. We are the Homemakers Gathered for Good. See y'all next week. Welcome to the Wellness Driven Life Show, your gateway to a new dimension of wellness. Featuring discussions with world renowned experts, pioneers, champions, and professionals. Experience high-end production, sophistication, and easily applicable tips and tricks for everyday life. Your journey to wellness, it starts here and it starts now. Tune in to the Wellness Driven Life Show and become a part of the evolution of driven living. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Candy Apple Advocacy, the podcast for parents who want to advocate for their children's education. I'm Jim Mallard, and I'm here with my wife, Tabby. We've been through the trenches of raising kids in the school system and know how tough it can be. But we also know how essential it is to advocate for your child and their education. That's why we started this podcast, to share our experiences and insights with other parents to help them become more effective advocates for their children. On this podcast, we'll talk about everything from general education, general school advice, the school choices you have available to you, different education styles, individualized education plans, 504s, and all those key terms that you've heard but don't know what they are. We'll talk to experts. We'll also talk to parents and hear their stories. We'll share our stories with you and give you tools you need to be a strong advocate for your child and yourself. Whether you're a new parent, or have been in the game for a while. We invite you to join our community. Let's advocate together.